and gentlemen, what? welcome to the most electrifying podcast in sports entertainment. What? 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 what are you doing? What do you mean what I'm doing? What, what are you doing? We're doing a double turn, bro. That's my thing. I'm the boss tonight. You're doing my thing. That's right, ladies and gentlemen. We are executing a double turn. Whereas Damien is the Bret Hart, and I am the Stone Cold in this episode. So please have a seat as we gather in. And now you have to deal with me leading the show. Huh. And my Fisher Price microphone. Well, aren't you all lucky? Welcome. Welcome to the most electrifying podcast in sports entertainment. Uh, Welcome to FFC. Uh, hi. Okay. Hi. Okay. Well, uh, yes, that's right. For the first time in the history of history, we are going to be led by good friend and lover of toys or us. Toys or us microphones, Ryan Doyle. How are you, sir? I'm doing great. I'm excited. Are you excited? I'm very excited. Uh, we are recording this live today on Indigenous Peoples Day, of course. We do not stand for genocidal uh, syphilis-bringing maniacs that came over to our country. No, we do not. Um, at this point in the game, if you celebrate it by its other nomenclature, then you're either a troll or I guess you're still hung up on the fact that like it's a day to dedicate Italians, but you got plenty you got plenty of good Italians to celebrate. You got plenty of good Italians. You got uh you got Nikolai Tesla. You got wait, was he Croatian? Anyway, you got Danny DeVito, you got Dam Delis, you got a lot. You, so uh, let's you not got, you got Mussolini. No wait, we don't like him. <laughs> We don't stand for Mussolini. Yeah, I mean, I, as somebody that is engaged to an Italian American, like I, I understand it's not my fight, but it, it it's kind of like, well, you're you you you're racing uh the good things that that Italy did, all right, but like which one of them were were the ones that Columbus did? Because he didn't do the good things. That wasn't him. We can be we could we can be happy about other things like if if you want to talk about like Rome or the Renaissance or anything like you know the things that didn't result in well actually Rome's a bad example of that. yeah so let's you move know, on let's move on Happy Indigenous Peoples Day everybody uh, Columbus sucks okay so this week we are going to be discussing the monolithic demonic steel enforced structure yes you know it. Ladies and gentlemen, it is hell in a cell. That's right. The day is nearly upon us. But before that, we're going to touch on a couple of other things first. Of course, Some but before that. Current events. Oh, yes. Before that. What are we drinking today, Damien? Well, my dear friend, I recently came back from a, a lovely trip to Maine. Went to Portland, Maine, and had some of the best chowder and lobster rolls that you could find anybody, anywhere. Uh, gained like 15 pounds on this trip. And along the way, we picked up a lot of great beer. But 
on the way down, we we spent our last night in uh, Beantown, Boston. And while we were driving back from Boston, we took a legendary detour to the King of Kings Treehouse Brewery. Oh, yes. Very and nice. we got, we spent like $200 in cans. Well, you and don't have so, a choice when you go there. It's either no, you spend no, you, <laughs> hours or you spend $400. So. They only let you buy them in cases. And I was like, oh, okay, well, maybe we'll get some four packs. But they don't even sell like basically any four packs. So you just don't get to do that. Uh, so I have here the Autumn American Double IPA. Uh, it's inspired by the vibrant sensory experience associated with hop harvest and hearkening back to extraordinary memories of the Tasmanian countryside. Autumn utilizes carefully selected galaxy hops atop a heavily oated base beer. The result is chewy, tropical hop nirvana. I have not had this yet. We have been very careful about touching our treehouses, so this will be my first sips. Treehouses for special occasions only. And it's mm-hmm. good thing- Special boys. This is a special occasion. Special occasion. Special boys. That's right. Well, I'm drinking a little selection from the Brooklyn-based Other Half. And this is uh, Ain't Nothing Nice. It's a double dry hot India pale ale. Standard boy. Clocking in at 6.2 ABV. Oh, we but 100% hoppy of fellas. flavor. It's a hoppy fella. Yes, it is. We're, so, we're some hoppy boys here. So you said Tas- Tasmanian, as in like yeah, that's that's what it the said. It island said that... next to Australia. I assume it's not talking about. The it's not uh, Tasmania, Massachusetts. You know. Uh yeah, I guess um, I guess that's a big thing. Uh, it's not something that I knew, but uh, yeah, looks like it. So pretty cool. So here we will crack. Wouldn't sip. That is very smooth to be an 8.2% beer. Oh, yeah. I expect nothing less from Treehouse. Mine's uh, mine's pretty flavorful. I was expecting like a, uh, you know, just a dry standard IPA. But honestly, the uh, the aftertaste really hits you. And it's uh, very, very floral. Yeah, this is very, uh, this is very woodsy, actually. I like this a lot. Hold on. I'm going to let Gina try it. And the verdict. Uh, yeah, she's she's also a fan. I gotta tell you, uh, look at this can art. Their can art is so fucking nice. It's, oh, yeah. It's like, it's insane. Their standard one of, like, the actual treehouse with, like, the wispy design and, you know, mm-hmm. it's, it's in the gold can or the green can or the red can or like that. Yeah, yeah, tree or leaf or whichever one mm-hmm. it is. Sad. Uh, yeah, it's very nice. All right. All right. Yes. Lead us away, fearless so, leader. What shall we discuss first? I guess we should discuss our favorite events first, of course. Uh, let's talk about the G1, Damien. G1 season, baby! That shit is still upon us. Now, we are four events away from being uh, done with G1 30. I can't believe it, man. We've already... <laughs> right? It was just like is yesterday, it- we were surmising it, you know? It's it's crazy. Um, so the G1 has been really, really terrific this year. Um, you expect nothing less, but given the fact that crowds can't uh, cheer still and are entirely reliant upon clapping and stomping, um, 
it's really, really remarkable how good it's been. And, and thank God that they were able to get like Kenton, Jay White and Jeff Cobb. Um, I'm going to give a special shout out to Jeff Cobb. A lot of people were a little disappointed with his performance last year. Uh, felt that he was like a little lackluster, wasn't really jiving that well. But this year uh, is very, very different, right? So Jeff Cobb currently has, I think he's only got like four points, but all of his matches have been really, really good. Um, specifically, if you want a great Jeff Cobb match, I mean, he, he actually, he fucking, he pinned Jay White. Which is a huge deal. Did what? Did either one of us call that? I feel one of us called a uh, a Cobb upset. I did actually. You I did I, good. The the only match that I got wrong for Cobb was Taichi beating him. Uh, I've Gato's really fucked my pickums, but uh, <laughs> as a tradition, so far, right? A couple of of quick MVPs this year. Shingo has been fucking excellent. Uh, he's been so good. I'm really happy how good of a showing he's had. I would say if you're going to watch any one match, either watch his his match uh, versus Osprey, uh, which was the sequel from the last year's uh, Best of Super Juniors final. Um, one of the best matches you'll see in a while. But his match against Okada uh, that just happened the other night was... Just a fucking masterclass of of how to sell properly, because Okada for for people that haven't been watching really this year, ever since Okada lost uh, the IWGP Heavyweight Championship to Naito, uh, it at the Tokyo Dome, uh, he hasn't used the Rainmaker. Now, if you're a little familiar with the product, you may be like, well, uh, that's not true, though. Like, I've seen the lariats with, like, him holding the wrist, but they're very specific about what they call Rainmakers. Like, if you listen to the English commentary, if he has wrist control and hits a, a lariat, they'll call it a Rainmaker. Kevin Kelly will call that a Rainmaker. Uh, or if he, he has, like, a spinning lariat that they'll call a spinning Rainmaker. But the Japanese commentary never call them Rainmakers. The Rainmaker always starts with the wide pan shot and the uh the whiplash to, you know flipping your your guy around spinning him into the lariat okay so the um, the presentation is what makes it the rainmaker as opposed to the move itself exactly and you see that in a lot of these guys finishers like Naito has a running destino that is the destino but that's like his powered down version of it like people will kick out of that that's a signature not a uh, a finisher the finisher Destino is him uh, twisting the arm and then flipping for the proper Destino. Okay. Um, so instead, he's been using uh, the Cobra Clutch, uh, which he calls the money clip. And the uh, like New that. Japan fans have all hated it. But there's a little running joke that Okada's whole thing is he'll just do something over and over until you love it. <laughs> and his match against Shingo... The way that Shingo sold this was incredible, and Shingo hit a Rainmaker on him. I could talk about these guys forever. So to not get too wrapped up, um, a lot of good showings from uh, basically everyone here. Uh, I'm going to give a special shout-out to Yoshihashi. Honestly, uh, I made fun of him on the last podcast. He's still not He's not going to win, but his match versus Evil was very good. Uh, and the whole tournament's been really, really a very good showing for Yoshihashi. I would not be surprised to see him with singles gold, maybe the U.S. belt or the uh, never open weight, maybe in the next year or so. Um, but yeah, overall, I mean, 
I, we could spend the whole episode talking about everybody. A couple of quick matches to watch. Shingo versus Okada. Uh, Suzuki versus Ibushi was yeah, okay, Me- so Dave Meltzer. My favorite you one so it. far, absolutely. It was incredible. It was such a fight. It felt like a fight. And uh, when Ibushi hit um, the Bomaye on Suzuki and pinned him for the win, Suzuki was smiling the whole time. And he was just like like staring up smiling. A lot of people think that Suzuki feels he may have found his successor for Suzuki-gun, uh, which ties into what Taichi and ZSJ with them trying to lure Bushi away from Tanahashi. Uh, so really interesting stuff there. Yujiro uh, refusing to just lay down for Jay White and evil kind of planting the seeds of like, do you really trust Yujiro? Do you really trust Gato? Um, great stuff all around. Uh, and Tanahashi is my golden child and I love him very much. It's very weird to be this old and like the John Cena <laughs> of New Japan. No, I um, mean, like it happens. It happens when you get older. You know, I was never a Ric Flair fan and all it took was one retirement match to me for me to like, you know, finally stand for the guy and finally understand like what he meant to the business. Did you just not like Tannen because he won all the time or was it just because like you didn't want to be part of the, the bandwagon? So I came into New Japan kind of late in my life. So I never disliked Tanahashi. Uh, I, in fact, like I, my first match that I ever saw with him was, I think, uh, when he beat Kenny Omega mm-hmm. uh, two years ago for the IWGP Heavyweight Championship. But I just didn't know anything about him. Uh, so when I say that, what I mean is like like to come into New Japan, it makes sense that you'd like Tana. But it's funny that I, this is like the older version of Tanahashi is the older ace. Who knows if he gets another championship reign like that again. But, like, uh, he's just so fucking good. And what makes it different than, like, John Cena is John Cena, it took a while for people to be like, wow, he's a really good, like, worker for what he does. But Tanahashi has always been a world-class worker and right. still is. Um, his match against uh, Kenta was incredible. So... To 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 wrap that up, right? The G one's been great. I really hope everyone's watching, checking in. Uh, so where we're looking right now, we get to the last two nights, uh, the last two matches for each block. Right now, we've got in the A block, uh, the leaders. We have Ibushi, Jay White, and Will Osprey with Okada trailing. They've all got ten points apiece. Okada's got eight. Now, Okada's last two matches are gonna be against. Um, Ishii and Osprey. Pretty likely he's going to win both of those, which would then give him the tiebreaker over Osprey uh, with 12 points. And then Jay White holds tiebreakers over everyone but Osprey. Um, so it could go a lot of ways. I really, you, uh, you have Osprey as taking it, um, which means he'd have to beat Okada in the final. Um, which is honestly completely possible. Osprey has been very strong this entire tournament. I think he's only been beaten once. Right. Uh, so definitely possible for sure. Um, outside of that, uh, I'm sorry, he's been beaten twice. Uh, Ibushi and Shingo both beat him. Um, Jay, uh, I could absolutely see going to the finals again. I, I don't know. It's a little bit of a toss up and we're going to see. Um, we'll see. We'll see how things play out. We still got a what another uh is this weekend the final? 
So the final is going to be on the 18th. So you've got coming up the 13th, the 14th, the 16th, and the 17th. So you got two nights each uh, okay. before we finish up. So I I think that I still think that Jay is going to get to the finals there. Um, his last two matches are against Ishii and uh, Suzuki, which I think are very winnable for him. Even if he just wins one of those matches, uh, he'll hold the tiebreaker over everyone but Osprey. So we'll we'll definitely see. And then for the B block, Naito is the only one with ten points, but due to Evil beating him last night, you now have uh, well, you have people in the running. You've got Evil, Kenta, and Sonata that are all kind of right there. But Naito holds tiebreakers on everyone but Sonata. So I feel pretty confident with the last two nights with Sonata taking on Tanahashi and Evil. I think that Sonata is going to end up beating both of them, uh, which will give him... And and with this, uh, the only thing is Naito would have to lose to either Kenta or Yano. Uh, so I don't <laughs> well, see we him all losing... know what's going to happen then. I, I don't really know what's going to happen because like, I, I want to say that like, no, there's no way Yano's going to pin the double champion, but like, I don't know. Dude. Why not? <laughs> because if Kenta pins him, then the lead up to wrestle kingdom is going to be Naito versus evil and Kenta again after they both beat him. So like, I don't know if they're going to do that, but what what else do you do? You're going to give fucking Yano a shot at him and I'll fucking be here for that. Yano has been incredible. Ladies incredible. Mark our words right here. If this happens, we will live stream that shit. Oh my god. Yes, if if Yano pins Naito, oh. <laughs> oh man. I don't even fucking I will fucking go on Amazon and buy his ridiculous $50 fucking chaos DVD. I will. I swear to god I'll post the receipt on Twitter if he wins. Um yeah, uh his match versus ESJ was my personal favorite. Uh he tied a chair to ZSJ mm-hmm. and then when ZSJ got into the ring, Marty Asami was like, "Come on, take the take it off." And he was like, "Why would I do this to myself? Why would I tie a fucking chair to myself?" <laughs> oh, it was so fucking good. He like was he was like on it all fours, like, "Come on, Yano, show me Tekkas. I want to see Tekkas." It was so fucking good. Anyway, uh, the match with Juice. <laughs> oh he yeah, the t-shirt. Uh, He's like, oh, oh, I want you wear t-shirt. You fucking liar! No lie! No lie! <laughs> no lie! No lie! No lie. Uh, you son of a bitch! So fucking. Seventy was rolling up for the pin. You son of a bitch! Yeah, yeah Juice. Uh, Juice's crowd control has been unreal, dude. He is, has that crowd eating out of the palm mm-hmm. of his fucking hand, and you could even tell that from last year. They love Juice over there. They really do. Uh. He had a very competitive match against Naito. Very, very competitive. Dude, um, what, a, what a fucking great story, man. Getting shipped out by NXT. And uh, mm-hmm. I don't know much about him before he hit NXT, like that first, second gen of stars that were there, like 2015. Mm-hmm. Uh, his last match was when Kevin Owens debuted, actually. I think he uh, he left soon after that. But... I mean, what a story, man. Going over to Japan, reforming yourself. Now he's like solidly up in the upper mid card there. So good going through the dojo too. Like he he could have come in as like a I'm an established guy, but he went through the dojo. He like put himself through the ringer. That definitely got um, him more respect too. Oh, for sure. Because he didn't come in like uh, 
some other gaijin will sometimes come over to Japan and just like, well, this is who I am. And it's like, no fault. Like, if you have a character, you have a character. You know, mm-hmm. you are who you are. But he, like, was like, I, this didn't work out here. I don't like it. I'm going to go through this. And he, you know, he speaks a decent amount of Japanese. So, yeah, I mean, him and Osprey are wildly over. So He took a lot of acid and he uh, debuted this new character. Yeah, so it, yep, no, he's Freddie Mercury. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I won't, I won't spend any more time rambling about it. But the G1 has been great. Uh, like I said, a couple of matches that I would just recommend off the top of my head would be Suzuki and Ibushi, Okada and, Taka- and uh, Shingo. Um, I would watch Tana and Kenta. I'd watch Naito and ZSJ or Naito and Juice. Uh, if you're looking for comedy, any of Yano's matches have been great. Uh, Goto versus Tana that just happened was really good as well. And Yoshihashi versus Evil. Um, Taichi has also been incredible. The yeah. whole fucking tournament. I want to give a shout out to uh, Ishii versus Cobb as well because you started off by mentioning Cobb or Cobb just like yes the ever living shit out of Ishii so that was a good absolutely right <laughs> uh, Ishii Ishii and Suzuki as well had a yeah. great well I fucking, expected I mean, that I expected nothing less than those two in that match and I was very excited I'm like I think I asked you if they faced each other before and it was like some events here and there I think one of them you said they, was for the, the never title. They tr- they traded um the British heavyweight championship uh, between okay. each other like a few years. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um Yeah, also one last thing that I'll mention and we'll move on. Jeff sure. Cobb's match versus Okada was really very good. And at one point, Jeff Cobb starts tossing Okada around like a rag doll yeah. because Jeff Cobb's suplex gimmick, you know, he likes to toss people around. But Okada is like six four. He is a big guy. And Jeff Cobb is just like throwing him around like he is a teeny tiny junior like it's Cobb has had a great showing and now that he's full-time with new japan i think that you know he'll join a faction soon uh i would love to see him join i mean chaos seems like the best fit but i would love somebody else to join lij uh they haven't had any other gaijin join them so that would be kind of interesting to see regardless the g1's been incredible uh i hope everyone's watching and October 18th is soon upon us, and I cannot wait for it. Uh, so just a, a, a couple other quick things. Uh, TakeOver 31 happened uh, last weekend, I believe, right? October 4th, uh, a couple days ago. Yes, everybody um, is now dead. Um, everybody's now dead, yes. Everybody will dead be out of COVID. action forever. No, uh, so Kyle O'Reilly lost to Finn Balor in a very good match. A very a really court. fucking strong yeah. match. I mean, those are those two excel at, and I think Kyle Riley was just chomping at the bit to have one of these matches, uh, it's especially been with Finn a while. Balor, since he got there. Yeah, it's it's he's at primarily a tag team specialist with Bobby Fish mm-hmm. as Red Dragon before Undisputed, but his juniors. I mean, he had a match against. Uh, you know, if if anybody was like surprised by this, go back and watch his never open weight bout with Katsuyori Shibata back in like uh, 2016 or 15 incredible the man can hang with any heavyweight and i'm really glad that he got this shot in a very very competitive match against a very strong looking finn Mm -hmm. yeah so he's hurt uh finn balor apparently has a broken jaw um i'm not sure how long they'll keep him out for but can't it's gotta be a while if they have a broken jaw i would imagine he might just fight through it. He's not going to give up the championship. Imagine if he has to drop another championship. Well, yeah. I mean, just think about it from NXT's perspective. Like, Jesus, dude. Like, that's two champions in a row that they had to forfeit the title. There's no way. He's definitely going out there like fucking They'll Kanye. make it work. They'll they'll work around it where, you know, I mean, 
luckily for them, they have Halloween Havoc coming up, and then I think the next takeover is uh, Survivor Series weekend. So they got some time to play around with. They don't necessarily have to yeah. vacate. They only do that if you're going to be out for like six to eight months, and there's no way that, you know. <laughs> yeah, I don't think that's <laughs> that they're going to the execute a storyline. But at the end of the segment, uh, we had Holland from uh, NXT UK come in, and he absolutely fucked shit up. He pretty much took Adam Cole, beat the shit out of him, threw him over the barricade of the newly set up uh, NXT arena, which that looks pretty good. I like it. Pretty good, yeah. I like the caging. And uh, it was pretty chaotic. I mean, I don't, I'm not sure how many people know about Holland. I didn't really know too much about him. I read up that he's an ex-rugby player. Um, but I guess he just wanted a minute. Did he, did he have a history with any of the guys besides maybe Balor on NXT UK? Uh, I don't really, Balor didn't spend too much time over at the UK, right? He was only there for a minute. Uh, no, I mean, he, he, he's only been active since 2016. Mm -hmm. Uh, he, his debut was against Keith Lee. So no, he's really, I don't think he's got too much, uh, of anything with anybody that I can tell. Yeah. So, I mean, he debuted at the end and it looked pretty assuring that this guy was about to get a rocket shot to his back for a push. Uh, so yeah, he comes in at the end of the show, uh, destroys Cole, absolute havoc with uh, Undisputed Era, not sure what's going on. At one point, they look at Balor, and they're like, are you a part of this? And he's like, no, I have nothing to do with this. My mouth is bleeding, leave me alone. <laughs> <laughs> and then, uh, so yeah, we had Holland debut here, and or re-debut, I should say. And on Wednesday night, he goes out for a squash match against uh, Oni Vorkan. And uh, sorry, he had a squash match against Birch. Oni Vorkan comes out for the save. Uh, it's pretty much a back and forth where, like, you know, Oni's not going to give up. And he gets him down. The refs come out, spills over. Holland's about to leave. Oni jumps over the top rope. Holland goes for the catch to break the fall, and oh my god, you just heard blood-curdling screams, things popped, and this guy's going to be out for a while. And it was so, it's really one of the more horrific injuries I've seen in wrestling in a while, because it doesn't look that bad at first, it just like at first looks like he falls, right? If you're watching in real time, you're like, I just fell, but like, the way he's screaming and then Oni doesn't know, right? Oni thinks he's just fucking selling. Mm-hmm. So he like goes over and starts punching him and like two refs tackled him yeah. so fucking <laughs> fast and threw up the X. And, like when you watch it in slow-mo, like his leg just gave out. He suffered an ankle dislocation, a fracture in his left leg, a knee patellar dislocation and a patellar tendon rupture in his right leg. So like both legs are fucked. Uh, yeah, really I mean, unfortunate. I suffered- I suffered uh, what they call the Holy Trinity, which is uh, a patella rupture, tearing your MCL and tearing your ACL. Jesus and, fuck. Uh, yeah, it's bad. Um, How do you walk properly? You don't. Uh, my knee got dislocated, and until it got put back into place, it was just 15 minutes of agony. So I can't imagine popping your ankle and then having a fracture on your fibia, you said? He fractured his left leg. It doesn't Jeez. say where, but like, yeah, probably. Like, like that's. And Oni's not a big guy, too. I mean, would yeah, you he's put not him in the... small, but he's not fucking. Yeah. 
massive. He's six one one ninety, you know. Uh, but yeah, it was it was rough, it was rough, so. man. So our wishes to him, and you know, hopefully, hate to see a good push go down the toilet. So. Well, you know what? Um, NXT does have a lot of of people in the pipeline right now, and like the rest of the takeover, like it was a kind of by the books takeover. No championships uh, changed hands. You know, uh, Io and Candice was a very good match. I would say it wasn't quite as good as their their first match last year, but this time the roles reversed with Io as the face and Candice as the heel. Is pretty good. Uh, I didn't watch the cruiserweight match, but I do love Swerve. Uh, Damian Priest, Johnny Gargano opened up was a very good match, but Kushida versus Velveteen Dream is probably the one that's most interesting because uh, despite all of the like really fucking disturbing shit that's come out about Dream and like everybody's got their opinions, but at the end of the day, like this dude is chatting up a bunch of teenagers, uh, sending pictures of himself and just being like an all around creep. Uh, just, you know, he's not that fucking young uh, to be hitting on 16 year olds and shit. Uh, yeah. So um, they had Kushida come out and like kick the ever loving shit out of him in like a really well, good me. match. Um, but the 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 reason I bring that up is like I hope Dream stays off TV and like I heard that there was a lot of I heard like I fucking talked to <laughs> Triple H. I've read that there's been a lot of heat against Dream for coming back out and people being like, "Yo, what the fuck? Why is this guy like on TV? Like what?" You know what, man? I mean, like, it's not like back in the day where if you let this guy go, he's going to go on WCW and, you know, become a superstar. I mean... He might might go to AEW, but, like, AEW has a lot of fucking established people. They're not going to take some guy hot like that, especially one that prides themselves on being, you know, anti-billing culture and inclusive. But it coincides with another return that we had this week on SmackDown. (laughs) That's right. The legendary... Uh, Lars Sullivan came back to everybody's surprise. And then Um, immediately. (laughs) Dude, oh my God, this guy. He couldn't even be there for a day before people went on Squared Circle and was like, hi, here's Lars Sullivan being super fucking creepy in my DMs, like hitting people up like who do yoga and being like, wow, got any booty pics? Your legs are great. Like, I... Get him out of here, man. Who should be surprised? Who should be surprised? Like, from anyone that like has seen him on like bodybuilding forums in 4chan, he's a fuck. He's a 4chan troll. It's who he is. Uh, you don't need it. You know what? Not for nothing. Mansoor is a fucking 4chan troll too, and they still keep wheeling him out in the Saudi shows. So like Lars Sullivan really just does not do well at things, and we should just get him out of here. No, again, another situation where he's not going to go somewhere else and become a legendary wrestler. So just no, it's not worth it, especially for WWE. You. I guess I mean, can like, afford heat from the press regarding these situations because they just you know make it go away. But I mean, fuck it. He has a five star match that he was just a cog in the wheel for. So, Dream, to be clear, is a very good wrestler, and like I, mean, dude, I can we, absolutely see him yeah. going to like Impact or Ring of Honor and being good. But like you, there is just so much talent in the pool in WWE and anywhere that like you don't need to keep problematic people around. And like, you need to have a little bit of integrity and like, you know, it's, you can't even be cynical and be like, ah, well, it was only once or twice. Like it's over and over and over and over and different people. Like it's too much, even in like, it's, it's just too fucking much. Uh, 
And I bring yeah. it up mainly because Kushida was the one that beat him with Kushida showing a more vicious side of himself. And mm-hmm. like, I don't want to give more attention to Dream. Like, Kushida is a legendary junior over in Japan. He's a six-time junior uh, heavyweight champion uh, in I in uh, New Japan. Uh, and like a two-time tag champion with Alex Shelley as time splitters. And Kushida and Finn Balor have a shit ton of history between them. Even dating back, I think, to before Finn was, uh, before Finn and Carl Anderson created Bullet Club, when Finn was still tagging with Ryusuke uh, Taguchi. They've fought each other in the best of Super Juniors, Super Junior League, World Junior League, ta- like, like, their history is there, and if Finn can go, I really hope Kushida is the next guy up against him, because they've had some real bangers. Agreed, I'm a big fan of Kushida. Uh, and I hope he gets a serious push now. He's been there a little too long for him to not have started. Yeah. Like, this is his first takeover. Sure. Um, Which is crazy, because so, he came over, like, early last year, right? Yeah, and it was, like, a big fucking deal. He's not. He's 37, you know, he's not that old. He's the same yeah. age, I think, as uh, Ishimori. Um, so, yeah, overall, takeover was, like, solid. Mm-hmm. It was fine. We got Halloween um, Havoc coming up, which should be a fun event. Uh, Shotsky's going to lead that. Uh, got to use those IPs before... Cody can get his hands on it. So, <laughs> God forbid. Uh, um, yeah. But uh, in other WWE news, we had the draft. Uh, yeah. And unfortunately, we had the. It happened. It happened, folks. New, New day is split. Day split. New day split. It happened. It happened. It's sad. Uh, I think it's going to be okay, though. Um, I think Biggie is about to get a nice little push for himself. I don't think he's going to be automatically launched to the title scene, but it's certainly well-deserved. Uh, he is staying on SmackDown, so he has a nice, uh, plate of superstars to go against. That being, of course, Roman Reigns, who continues to kill it in his new run. Uh, also joining him on SmackDown was... Mr. Monday Night, who will become Mr. Friday Night Messiah, Seth Rollins. And still the Mysterio family. Oh my god, of course. Gotta keep those uh, Telenueva audiences. Just give them a win. Just give them a win, man. Come on. You do it. But uh, anyway, so I digress. Uh, Other big moves. Heavy Machinery got broken up. Uh, which I thought was a little too soon. I thought they should have waited until at least, I don't know, have some more shenanigans with the money in the bank. But ah, I think Tucker's a solid wrestler. He should get a nice little uh, mid-card spot on Raw. Uh, it's we stand of, it's for Otis, so we hope Otis continues his glorifying money in the bank run culminating in a WrestleMania cash-in on Roman Reigns. But we digress. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, <laughs> yeah, you know, it's, it's one of those um, splits that, like, doesn't make a ton of sense to me. Just mainly because, like... I don't like that we did this with New Day, right? But at least there's like some logic in it, right? Yes. Some yeah. some logic of like we've never split them, we don't want them turning on each other, assuming of course that nothing happens this Friday. Uh so like like and you know, they've been together 6 years. They didn't need to be split. To be clear, I'm really not a big fan of the move and I think that Ryan has a little bit more optimism than I do. Less because, like, I, I, they all have the trust of management and Vince, and like, I have no doubt that Biggie. Well, I have doubt, but I'm hoping to be wrong, and Biggie will hold singles gold very soon. Mm-hmm. But 
it just wasn't necessary. I just didn't really feel that we needed no. to do that. But uh, Otis and Tucker is is like you didn't. You, there's not even a fucking story there. Like you didn't. It's not. It's just why did we need to split them? They they wrestle as singles competitors fairly often. So like, why did yeah. you need to split them? I don't really get. The, and they split Otis from Mandy as well. Yeah, that I don't like. Uh, I that was even before the draft. They were just like, oh, let's stick her on Raw because you know, whenever SmackDown does really good, we have to fuck it up and make sure that Raw gets the uh, the pat on the back because they yep. you know can't seem to get that shit together, even though it's the flagship show supposedly. Um, but yeah, I think Otis impressed a lot of people over the last couple of months and uh, can very well handle stuff on his own where he doesn't really need uh, Tucker as the straight man to him. But uh, yeah, it wasn't necessary. I guess they just want to shake things up, pal. Yep, shakeups for the sake of shakeups. And like the other big one that immediately comes to mind is uh, AJ going back yeah. to Raw. Or so not going were, back. To, has he ever been on Raw? Yeah, he was on Raw. He was on Raw before he, he got started to SmackDown. On Raw, right. He started on SmackDown. Oh, and then uh, he's, okay. Then he moved to Raw, and then he moved back to SmackDown when they went on to Fox for Friday nights. Okay, but I gotcha. supposedly he had some heat with Paul Heyman, and then even though that Heyman is gone, mm-hmm. uh, they're going to stick him back on Raw, which is fine because if you're going to have Seth come over, you need to like balance the scales a little bit. Yeah, uh, the Fiend also went over to Raw as well, so let's see what implications those have. Hopefully, an actual run this time, but uh, even I'm not optimistic on that one. So we'll see. Yeah, um, SmackDown, like we had been talking about, has been like pretty good. Uh, as of late, and Raw has been very not good. Uh, so you know, having giving Raw like AJ and the Fiend makes sense on paper. Mm-hmm. Uh, you give them the New Day. It a little bit feels like they wanted they like really understand that Raw is not doing super well, and like so they wanted to bring over New Day, but they have things they're doing with Big E, and like I feel like that was part of it, but. Especially like the night that Xavier like just came back, like it it it, it fucking it sucked the whole thing. I, I'm not gonna shit on every move. Like it, getting AJ over to Raw should be interesting. Mm-hmm. Uh, putting Seth and Roman back on the same show with both of them as heels. Uh, I don't have a lot of faith in WWE like making that a storyline, but I would really love some good heel on heel action right. uh, with Seth and Roman because Roman is a heel. But he's like a they're they're kind of similar in some ways and they're not like both of their characters right now are very like you will bend the knee to me right like that Seth's whole thing with Buddy Murphy and why he ultimately turned on Buddy and like he's being that mafioso type and Roman is doing the same thing just with the Usos and and with like lineage right mm-hmm. so but Roman uh, is definitely much. He's, like, more brutal than Seth in a lot of ways just because he's, like, bigger and that's who he is. But uh, he's doing it to, like, his family member and, like, it's all within the guy. Like, he hasn't done anything outside of a ring and he's constantly being, like, I love you. Like, I don't want to do. So I would love to see those two do something together, whether they will or not. I don't know. But uh, Biggie and Seth have history as well. And Seth and New Day typically get along really well. So that should be interesting. It yeah, I mean, they I imagine they would cross paths. Uh, Seth seems to be a little more unhinged in his current run mm-hmm. in terms of just like, you know, um, being delusional. Hygiene. Oh, what are we tasting? Sauce. Sauce, baby. 
It tastes very good. <laughs> God. Seth seems to be a little more delusional uh, in terms of like, you know, what do you mean you don't love me? You know, I, I beat Brock twice. What do you mean you don't love me? Where Roman is just like, oh, I finally understand why you don't love me. Well, you don't love me? Fuck you. So, yeah, I don't give a shit. Yeah. Um, which, for sure. It works for the both of them. So, I mean, WWE used to do good heel-on-heel shit back in the day. So, I mean, why not? It's very... Fans I are going to choose a side anyway. So, I mean, you can still keep them healed. I don't really understand it. And, like... Not to constantly compare WWE to Japan, right? Um, but heel versus heel, like the whole logic behind it is that, like, if the crowd doesn't want to boo anybody or if the crowd doesn't want to cheer anybody, then, like, how do you get heat? But, like, you see it in Japan, right? Now, again, I understand the crowds are very different, but they have matches with, like, Suzuki and Jay or Jay and Yujiro or Kenta and Evil. And, like, a good example would be, uh, Yujiro and Taichi, um, both mega heel. Well, I will call Yujiro mega heel, but like Yujiro played the face in that role because he was the underdog. So that's what he did. Right. And like Kenta and Evil, same thing. Like, and you can still have fucky antics. Like, I don't, I don't really understand why we don't do it. Like, we do face on face, and it's just like I want a good competition. I want a good challenge, and some fucking face walks from the back and it's like, I will give you that challenge. And then they shake hands. Like, why can't we have two heels and be like, fuck you. I'm better. No, fuck you. I'm but like, I, it's weird. It's weird that we stay away from it that much. Yeah. Uh, so I hope so as well. Um, but yeah, so the landscape has changed once again. Um, we should see a good survivor series run come up. Hopefully culminating in a nice Royal rumble. Uh, but first, before we talk about the next WWE event, which culminates in our main storyline for today, uh, should we briefly touch upon AEW? Uh, yes. And the only other thing I want to talk about uh, for WWE is uh, for Clash of Champions. I don't really feel like anything uh, requires a ton to no, talk about, I but... Mean- I would highly recommend anybody watch the triple threat between Jeff Hardy, Sami Zayn, and AJ. Yes, yes um, that is one, one of the, the best, best ladder matches uh, in a while. Yeah, honestly, it's one of my favorite I've ever seen, and I loved, I loved how they presented Sami. We haven't gotten to see Sami wrestle properly in a while. Uh, really nice to see that like he can still move, he can still bump, like he looks fresh and healthy. I hope that the time off really helped him kind of heal. Uh, I really, I thought it was a very good storyline that initially started weird with three different champions, mm-hmm. but it really worked well. And Sammy handcuffing Jeff Hardy's ear to a ladder and then handcuffing himself to AJ only to bring out a key and like unhook AJ while he was like, it. it is, I love that we have, and, and WWE does this a lot with like smart heels, like heels always outsmart the faces. But what's interesting about this is like AJ is still a heel as well. And this, actually, this is a good example of heel on heel. Sammy and AJ are both heels right now. Right. But AJ just played up being a little dumber than Sammy and Sammy being a little craftier. One of the most creative endings to a match I've seen in a while with him handcuffing AJ while just deadweighting himself, uh, to become the unified IC champion 
great match. Really happy for all three of them. Jeff looked great. I really wish he would stop jumping off of shit, but regardless. I know, um, but that, that's all he's got, man. <laughs> and uh, the McIntyre-Orton match was was uh, fun. Give it a watch. It was, it was good. But Roman and Jay was a very brutal, simply told wrestling match that i like if you're an old school guy this is an old school southern territory style match of just very little outside of just shit talking and fucking fists it was yeah you got you got the family drama man you got uh even paul Heyman was just like genuinely telling jimmy to (laughs) just throw that damn towel like you know what i mean and i like the dynamic that like you know paul Heyman thinks that he's doing Roman in favor by joining up with him, but it's becoming very apparent that Roman's like, I don't need you, bud. If you want to hang me, you can. But uh, yeah, no, it's 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 great. So yeah, we don't need to talk about that. And AEW, uh, their anniversary is coming up. We are officially at one year since Dynamite, which means that we're almost at one year, pal. Yes, we are. We are almost at one year, but we will save that fanfare for after. Uh, yeah, AEW, uh, they introduced a new belt on being the elite. That I that'll probably stay on being the elite, but uh, it's called the like being the elite mm-hmm. uh, title. Um, I didn't watch the most recent episode, but I think it was like involved in a skit, so they might use it like the twenty four seven belt. Um, That's cool. I like that. The way that the way that Brandon Cutler described it when he introduced it was basically like this can be uh, defended in any format, uh, wrestling match or otherwise. Uh, every, all of the elite stop, uh, continue their slide into heelish behavior. Uh, Kenny has been coming out and commentating hangman's singles matches seemingly just to be like, yeah, he's not a, he's just like a tag guy now. Um, and most recently there's this tournament that they're doing for the AW championship, uh, that Kenny's going to be involved in hangman's going to be involved in a bunch of other people, Ray Phoenix, uh, and hang and Kenny repeatedly called Hangman like a tag team specialist. Like, yeah, you even got tag team guys like Hangman. Like, doesn't matter to me. And uh, clearly, Kenny and the Bucks are just spiraling and spiraling. Uh, it's a matter of time before they go heel. Uh, it's the storyline continues to be really good. Uh, and we also got the return and immediate uh, return. The immediate winning of the TNT championship in a dog collar match uh, of Cody. Uh, dark haired Cody, though. We got Dark Phoenix Cody now, uh, who immediately cut like a baby face promo about, like, I, I came back to love the fans and I will fight for the fans. Because honestly, Cody sounds like fucking Tom DeLong in these promos sometimes. <laughs> uh, and Orange Cassidy came out, and so Orange is going to be his his challenger on the anniversary okay. show, which should be great. Uh, I my take on Cody's thing is like, so he, his hair is dark again, and I feel like we are obviously like a heel turn's going to happen. It's just a matter of against who. Orange would probably be the right guy to do it on if they decide to do that. He wins the belt back, uh, and Orange does his antics, and Cody just fucking snaps on him. Um, yeah, th- that's good if they set it up like that, because it, it can't be this obvious, man. And I saw a funny comment on Square Suckle. It was like, oh, it's just for men, baby. <laughs> My baby boy is just for men. But, uh, um, yeah. yeah. I mean, but, like, I... Am I overthinking the that the fact that 
like Brody was just kind of cast aside. I mean, because they kind of did the same thing when they, uh, with Lance Archer when uh, Cody got his comeuppance on him. I mean, but Lance mm-hmm. Archer is now going to be fighting for the championship with Moxley. Yeah, so he I mean, there's going to be greener pastures for the Dark Order and uh, Brody Lee, but they gave them such like a like this culminating win against Cody, and like you know they had like the the funeral ceremony and stuff like that. And actually, that was the episode where they got like a million viewers or something like that. So I don't know. I'm probably overthinking it. Uh, Cody, you got to turn heel, bud. Um, it's like almost reign of terror at this point, and they haven't even reached a year on their show yet. So I will. I will, so I'll say this right. Um, Cody. People didn't all love Cody's uh, reign initially with the TNT Championship, but I personally thought that Cody uh, did a very good job of establishing that belt as a big deal while still being something that mid carters can go for. Uh, he really did the very much that you know. I, I mean, it's how an open challenge works. But I do feel that uh, while it may not be the same levels as John Cena's open challenge for the U.S. Championship, I felt like Cody did a good job of establishing it with a lot of different people, uh, getting Eddie Kingston involved, and then keeping Eddie Kingston around, which has been a real revelation for the heels uh, in AEW. So I don't really feel like he needed to win it back. Um, it was a very good match, this dog collar match between him and Brody. It was brutal. It was uh, very good. Cody remains, like, pretty fucking good in the ring. I wouldn't necessarily say that I think this is, like, a burial for Brody in the Dark Order. Uh, no, I, 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 didn't want, I didn't want my statements to come off as, like, I was saying that it was as such. But it kind of just cast them aside at a time when they finally seemed like to be clicking. Especially some of the, like, the Dark Order or some group like the Dark Order that was having a lot of issues, you know, finally. Yeah establishing themselves within AEW, but you know, I mean they they do a good job of like all it takes is one episode to turn things around again. So we'll see. I, I, I agree with that. Like I'm I am willing to give AEW because by and large their big storylines, their big payoffs have mostly hit for me. I can't think of a ton of of uh storylines that I was like disappointed in and it's only been a year. Mm-hmm. But I think so far they've given me a lot of reason to trust uh, their storytelling and Cody has as well. Cody is a very old school, you know, he's got, he's got Papa's mentality. Uh, and so he loves those old school matches and he loves that storytelling. So I, I'm sure it's leading to something. I don't feel like Brody needed to drop the belt to him. And I don't feel like that's the way we needed to do this. So we'll, we'll see what happens, but no, I, I agree. It's let's just fucking do this already. And if it comes at, uh, orange's expense, um, you know, a guy that's super over with everybody, then I can get on board with that. But we'll we'll see. Um, yeah, that's that's really it. The anniversary show is going to be pretty good. Big Swole's got a match against um, uh, Hikaru Shida, um, which should be fun. Yeah. And FTR, I don't know who they're facing. Oh, they're facing best friends. They're going to be facing best friends, so that should be good. Uh, Cody will be facing. Uh, Orange Cassidy and Mox and Archer for the AEW Heavyweight Championship, which was originally supposed to happen at All Out, but then uh, couldn't due to COVID. Was it All Out or was it just... Now, you know what? It wasn't even at all. It was just like a random dynamite it was going to happen at. So now it'll be happening. Which is fine. Now, I think it's it's more fitting on a, a yearly anniversary show. So Yeah, and it, it'll definitely be a good match. It'll be a rematch from of their Texas Deathmatch on... Uh, 
uh, January 4th last year at the Tokyo Dome at Wrestle Kingdom. Uh, only other thing I think that's interesting to mention is that they have mentioned that by name, that we faced each other in New Japan Pro Wrestling in a mm-hmm. Texas death match at the Tokyo Dome. Yeah. And for Jericho's 30-year event, uh, Hiroshi Tanahashi did a uh, he did a little vignette, and then JR shouted him out when uh, somebody did a dragon like a uh, dragon whip leg screw. And like, so they're, they're like kind of talking about New Japan in a way that I really hope leads to something in the future, just because you have some guys there. Yeah, yeah. You've got some guys over there that were huge in Japan and that, you know, if, if you can get, uh, Ryan's talked a lot about, uh, bringing a guy like Minoru Suzuki over, um, for, for part of New Japan's expansion into the Americas, he was supposed to have a match with Orange Cassidy before COVID. Um, so I would love to see someone like him or Tanner. Oh God, God help me! Like, could you imagine heel Kenny winning the AW Championship, and you hear the fucking coin drop? Yeah. Or they, or or you hear like you hear like, and fucking like Coda's music. Like, there's so much we can do, and I I hope we do. I hope yeah. we do. But uh, that's really it for for AW, and. With that, I think we're all caught up 55 minutes in. There has been a lot. We've been out for a little bit, okay? We've been busy, okay, two, folks? Two hiatuses, folks. I'm sorry. We've been busy, <laughs> okay? Uh, but there you have it. Move There's back. That's the way the news goes. All right. So with it being spooky season and culminating in the next WWE pay-per-view, we thought it would be a good time to discuss... Hell in a Cell. Yes. So now what's left to be said about Hell in a Cell? It is one of the most famous gimmick matches in WWE history. I would Uh, argue wrestling history, honestly. Wrestling history, yeah, for sure. Uh, You know, it's an iteration of the Steel Cage match. And it was invented in 1997 for the Bad Blood pay-per-view between Shawn Michaels and Undertaker, which is a way to have them pay off... uh, their feud that resulted in, back in the SummerSlam pay-per-view where Undertaker was facing Bret Hart at the time for the WWE Championship and Shawn Michaels was the special guest referee and Shawn ultimately cost Undertaker uh, the match because he went to go hit Bret Hart with a steel chair ended up hitting Undertaker which resulted in Bret Hart getting the pin. Uh, the Hell in a Cell is different from the Steel Cage in a way that uh, A, has a cover over it, and B, instead of using the steel bars at the time, uh, they used more of like a f- chain-link fence, which was more akin to the old cages that they used in NWA. And uh, what they also added was a roof. Now, Steel Cages with the roof was not unusual at the time because the more keen fans will realize. That's the war game cage. However, if you look at the old war game cage, the roof is incredibly low. In fact, uh, one of the most famous war cage... Ma- uh, sorry, did I say war cage? I said war, war cage. cage. <laughs> one of the most famous war games matches, uh, I believe, uh, was when Pillman has... Uh, uh, Dustin Runnels over his head and like he literally hits the top of the cage before he can make the move. So uh, 
they did a iteration to it where they raised it and pretty pretty high up, almost seven feet up in the air uh, from the normal uh, war games ceiling. Uh, but you know, uh, can you take a guess who created Hell in a Cell? Well, I could think of a couple of people, but I don't know. I hope it's not that fucking Kevin Omega piece of shit person. That's correct. Corny. Corny took the idea from, as I mentioned before, the old NWA cages, and he wanted to create a more uh, menacing-looking cage because that's what they originally planned for the Shawn Michaels-Undertaker match because fans will also realize that was the debut of Kane. And... To debut Kane, they wanted to come up with a you know a good storyline, and they ultimately settled on him debuting, ripping the door off of the cell, which is a uh, iteration off the old storyline from an NWA uh, feud. And Corny didn't want to use the old blue steel cage that they were using at the time. Or it's kind it of very black. silly looking when it you is. see it's it these goofy. days. Um, and, and just to 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 be clear. Uh, Corny, we're talking about Jim Cornette. Yes, Jim uh, Cornette. James famous, Cornette. Famous NWA manager. So, plus, if you look at the old cells, they didn't really have a, a lot of give. And unlike the old cage matches where you have to win to exit the cage. I mean, you could pin somebody, but it was pretty much back in the day. You had to escape through the top or to the door. But in Hell in a Cell... You can only win by pinfall. Uh, <clears throat> so, to debut Kane, they had him rip off the door, and the rest is history in terms of that. Uh, other famous cage matches after that time, a lot of people believe it was The Undertaker Mankind, but it wasn't the Stone Cold, uh, sorry, the Undertaker Shawn Michaels match from Bad Blood 97 was the first. The next one... <clears throat> was on a Monday Night Raw, believe it or not. And, you know, people may be surprised, but back in the day, Monday Night Raw used to have a lot of, like, these matches that you would receive, that you would see reserved for uh, pay-per-views these days. I, I find that that happens a lot um, with AEW, and you see people talk a lot about how, like, wow, I can't believe, like, AEW just constantly gives us these, like, pay-per-view quality cards. Mm -hmm. But there was a point in time, like, in the you know like later wrestling history but like in the 90s in the late 80s especially during the monday night wars where you would consistently get shit like this because there was competition there was a reason to do it uh so yeah it's really weird in 2020 to hear shit like that like the fuck on a raw on a random raw but you forget how different things used to be fucking right. 23 years ago and, you know, we always talk about them struggling with ratings now. It's like, just stick the hell in a cell in an episode. You guys would bump <laughs> a million viewers easily for that. Yeah. And you're not facing anybody. So it's like, you know, it's not like you have to go up against anyone. To I do would. It. I, I think that, um, and I, I've, I've seen this written before, like, that the worst, one of the worst things WWE ever did is make multiple hell in a cell matches happen at the pay per view or even just make a pay per view of it. Because it's a little bit less of a spectacle now. Like, it is still a big... It's a very protected match. Mm -hmm. um, but because it does have a pay-per-view every year and you're going to get, like, two to three matches in it, it, it definitely, like, just 
not having a pay-per-view and just dropping it. It's it should be the culmination of a brutal fucking feud. Exactly like what you're talking about between people like Undertaker and Shawn Michaels. Like that's who Undertaker and Mankind. That's who it should be reserved for. So Right. And what Damien is alluding to is that eventually these Hell in a Cell became its own uh pay-per-view scheduled towards usually October, sometimes November, towards the end of the year. Uh, this occurred in 2009. Before that, we had about 18 solid matches, and a lot of people remember them. There's not many Hell in a Cells where people forget. Uh, mm-hmm. Of course, as I mentioned before, you had the second Hell in a Cell ever, and that was The Undertaker and Stone Cold, Steve Austin defeating Mankind and Kane. Uh, the next one after that was the very famous Undertaker and Mankind steel cage match. Nothing left to be said on that. We've discussed that before. One of the best matches of all times. Yeah. Uh, the next one after that, you had a Mankind and Kane against on another Raw's War. Uh, you had The Undertaker versus Big Boss Man, which, do you remember this match? I don't actually think I've ever seen it, no. So it was on WrestleMania uh, <clears throat> 15, but what happened at the end of it was Undertaker hung uh, Big Boss Man from like the center of the ring. This was like during oh. the ministry days. Yeah. I know so, about that, right. yeah. Which is very controversial at the time, because I remember being like, geez, what year is this, 99? I was in third grade, and like I was watching with my dad and like all the other dads of like our friends, and like they legitimately thought he was dead. <laughs> and he was just like, hey, there. It was just, it was very akin to the tasteful wrestling that we received from the Attitude Era in 99. Yeah. Uh, the next one after that was Triple H defeating Cactus Jack. Now, what was special about this match was not only was it uh, mankind's career on the line, more so or less. It was also the time that uh, the championship was defended in the Hell in the Cell. Um, and a, a quick interesting thing about that that I saw is that I think the championship has like a seventy percent uh success rate. Like, uh, like when you're defending a championship in mm-hmm. Hell in a Cell. The champion has won like over 70% of the time. Yes. That is true. Which is funny that you mentioned that because the next one is also probably like the third most referenced Hell in the Cell match. And that was the six-way between Kurt Angle, Undertaker, Triple H, Stone Cold, Austin, Rikishi, and The Rock. And what was special about this one was uh, Rikishi getting thrown off the side of the Hell in a Cell onto a... Uh, a truck filled with a lot of hay because that that's, man needs a lot of hay for his fall. That's a great fucking match. That is right? yeah, a for very sure. One good of my favorites. I almost want to give it my favorite Hell in a Cell match because like to execute that type of match with those names for a six way of the WWE title, they did a very good job doing that. And there's some screwy shit obviously like Vince and the uh and the goons, Pat Patterson and Briscoe, like, bring in the truck and, like, where the hell are they going with this? They try mm-hmm. to take off, like, the side of the cage. And yeah. uh, ultimately, it just led up for an awesome setup for Rikishi's fall. Um, uh, I, w- I will withhold my favorite for uh, later on when you get sure. later on the list. So you had some other ones. I mean, that was, like, those six Hell in a Cells were, like, the first good, like, solid run. And then you had some other ones in there. You had Brock Lesnar defeating The Undertaker for the first time in the Hell in a Cell at No Mercy. Yep. Uh, October 20th, 2002, which is also a very good match. Uh, 
Brock afterwards goes to the top of the cage and absolutely like seals his dominance as like the newly established star. And, you know, I think we've spoken about this uh, probably anytime Brock comes up. But again, it really needs to be pointed out just how much of a, a force of na- you know what? Actually, just talking, taking that in the larger context of everything. Right. When mm-hmm. you think about Brock and Undertaker as a feud, as a career long feud for Brock. um. Aside from that, Brock was also, uh, well, I'm sorry, he wasn't the one to break the streak. That was, or what, right? He broke the streak and then Roman beat him the next year was what it was, right? Or was it that Roman broke the streak and then Brock beat him the year after? Brock defeated The Undertaker. Undertaker came back the next year and won against Bray Wyatt. Yeah, uh, but I'm saying Brock broke the, Wrestle, the WrestleMania streak, right? Right, and then... Roman defeated him two years later. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. so like Brock is the first person to defeat Undertaker in a, like a singles competition mm-hmm. uh, in Hell in a Cell, and then, or actually, I guess he did lose the first one. Uh, so, <laughs> ignoring ignoring the first one, uh, Brock coming in in two thousand two to defeat Undertaker in Hell in a Cell and like his match breaking the streak at WrestleMania. Like they have like a very interesting feud. And it it can never be understated just how much of a force of nature Brock was. Like when he burst onto the scene in two thousand two, he was without a doubt to like ten year old me like the most horrifying thing I've ever seen in my life. I don't like I don't want to go on like a huge like derail the conversation, but Brock Lesnar's first run in WWE is without Absolutely a doubt legendary. one of the greatest runs of any wrestler in in any promotion around the world. I mean. And, and you know it's funny. I just watched a video of Paul Heyman talking about when Brock um, first showed up on the scene, and all the older guys was talking like, "Oh, you should be like a Russian dude, and like you should just have moves bounce off of you, and then like not say anything and just do a move and and win and move on." And uh, Paul Heyman does like a great Taz impersonation. He says like, "Yeah, Taz. Taz came up to him and he's like, Hey, Brock, Brock, you got a minute? Hey, I need to talk to you. I want you. I want you to talk to Paulie over here." That's a bad Taz impersonation, but um, but but like Paul goes up to him and he's like, "You'll be out of here in six months." Like, do you want me to talk to Vince? And he's like, "Oh yeah, I'd love that." And like, that's kind of how their relationship started, right? Uh, so so like I said, not to derail the conversation too much, but just no. Like, I mean, you're actually right, man. Two thousand two, two thousand three, Brock is just an unparalleled athlete in every sense of the word. And, like, it is why he's treated as such a big deal now. It's why he's such a marquee name. Dude, look at all the accolades he got on that first run. And if it was anybody else, people would be complaining about it. But because it was Brock Lesnar and he made you believe it and he made you believe that, like, he deserves all of this. Uh, his, his, he defeated Brock Lesnar. I mean, he defeated The Undertaker for the championship at Hell in a Cell. I mean, mm-hmm. think about any other wrestler from that time, 20 years later, that has a feat like that, you know? To make such a yeah. powerful statement like that, it, it's just absolutely incredible. And it's because the older guys love Brock. Brock, mm-hmm. like, he got it, man. Ve- he's he very and, and and he's someone that really does have a ton of respect for wrestling. It's you. It, it's easy to get lost in the whole like, oh, Brock just shows up for the money, but like he does that because he like earned his fucking lashes, and like Brock is in the business because he wants to be in the business and he respects it. And that's why when Paul Heyman was like, these are terrible ideas. Like, why are you letting them tell you this? He was like, well, I know what the deal is. Like, I'm going to like, these are the legends. I'm going to talk. I'm going to listen to the legends. Like, that's just always who he was. So if I may volley, sir, 
<laughs> Can I borrow you for a minute, <laughs> sir? Would just like to make one point, sir. Uh, <laughs> it was great for Paul Heyman, too, because during that time, like, he was also able to establish himself again because before that, he got kicked out for the yeah. ECW invasion. So the fact that he was able to recombinate himself as Brock Lesnar's manager, attach him to such a powerful force uh, at the time, was also very smart on his part. Absolutely. So other matches that we got before Hell in a Cell became its own thing, uh, we had Triple H versus Chris Jericho. Uh, what was special about that match is that it was the first time that uh, a wrestler was pinned not in the ring but on top of the cage. Hmm. And other ones we had we had Triple H defeating Sh- Kevin Nash. I don't remember this one. Uh, we had Triple H versus Shawn Michaels. Batista beating Triple H for the championship, which was his first title win. And then the last one before it switched over to the pay-per-view was The Undertaker versus Randy Orton. Uh, have you checked out this match before? Uh, what was that, like 04 or some shit? Is that like Orton's 05. first real run? 05? Yeah. I don't believe so. Orton's first real run. Uh, very, very brutal feud. Uh, Bob Orton got involved. And uh, it culminated in a very great uh, Hell in a Cell. Randy kind of like solidified himself as the Viper at this point mm-hmm. instead of like the smarmy, like second generation heel uh, coming out of Evolution. That's, like, this is his first run post Evolution. Okay. Um, some controversy behind this one, though. Because what had happened was is that Bob Orton got involved in the match and uh, got busted open hard way. Bob Orton has hepatitis and blood in the oh. ring and Undertaker <laughs> got very mad. Yeah, regarding that will do it. Yes, that will, that will definitely do it. That will uh, do it. It was not disclosed that he had hepatitis at the time. You know, I, all, the, all respect to, to Bob Orton because he's a legend, but at the same time, like Jesus Christ. <laughs> yeah. But it also culminated in one of the famous photos uh, ever at a Hell in a Cell where at the end of the match, uh, Randy Orton's being helped to the back by his dad in a ref. And Undertaker has like these like just crazy messed up hair and you don't see his face, but you see like the spotlight behind him. And he it just absolutely looks like the Predator, like ready to strike <laughs> on Randy Orton. So if you haven't seen that photo, uh, go check it out. And then, yeah, after that is where we had the Hell in a Cell. Now, I'm not going to go through all the matches because, as Damien alluded to, after they went to the Hell in a Cell on its own pay-per-view, it kind of lost its luster. I'm not going to lie. You know, when the Hell in a Cell came out, like, everybody's like, yeah, like, you know, this this is fucking awesome. Like, it's going to take this feud, whoever was in it, and it's going to culminate in like this absolute brutal match because there's no way that you can have a Hell in a Cell match and it not be absolutely like furious and people just absolutely getting beaten and battered. But um, yeah, do you want to do you want to share a little more a couple points on that? Yeah. So like once that happened, once the switch over to Hell in a Cell happened, uh, a Hell in a Cell match only happened outside of the pay-per-view uh, three other times. Uh, there was a dark match of mm-hmm. all fucking things in 2011. Uh, and then two WrestleMania matches. You had Undertaker uh, and Triple H at WrestleMania 28. And then you had Undertaker and Shane in another like really fucking great Hell in a Cell match at WrestleMania 32. But outside of that, it's always been in the pay-per-view and... 
when you look at the list, like it makes sense. Uh, but I think what they wanted to do is they wanted to create another marquee event like war games, right? Like another right. marquee thing where they could be like, this is where you're going to see the good shit. But a lot of those matches don't really have like the luster that they should. Mm-hmm. Um, but for me, in that era, right, to not be like, oh, the old days were better. Like, I, my arguably my all-time favorite Hell in a Cell match, even over, like, Undertaker and Mankind, is the Usos versus New Day in a Tornado match. Uh, that was Hell in a Cell 2017. That right. match, because that match, in my opinion, was everything that a good Hell in a Cell match should be. It was vicious brutal the usos i think were new heels at that point and it's like when they really started being themselves uh or maybe they had been for a couple of years but um they, that was like the pinnacle of their heel run and like there's this really great lasting image of when they they tie up uh xavier woods to like the ring post i think they like handcuff him and put it around the pole mm-hmm and the Usos just, like, wail on him with kendo sticks. And right. the whole time, he like, Xavier is, like, screaming at the top of his lungs, but he's, like, goading them on. They also, like, tie up one of the Usos in kendo sticks in the hell, in, like, the cage itself. Um, So, like, I would say that's probably my favorite, and I really do love a good tornado tag match. Uh, yeah, and if you look at it before that, uh, you had it. A- Tornado tag team match in 2009 between DX and Legacy. And then after that, they never really utilized the cell for a tag team, which is kind of like a remiss on their part because as you stated, yeah, because like if you want to have a marquee match with Hell in a Cell, then why not? Instead of just two single matches between the Raw and SmackDown feuds that were going on at the time. Yeah. Put a tag team Um, in there. That's a guaranteed uh, good match right there. And and something else that you see as like you go through that list is that it becomes like the the match for the Universal Championship or the WWE Championship, and that's just kind of like what it becomes for a lot of these. Like once it becomes its own pay per view, uh, you know, I don't know. It's it's Hell in a Cell. It happens once a year now, and you always know somebody's gonna get it, and there have been 45 matches and like 28 or like 20, 20, yeah, 20, 27, I think have happened since hell in a cell became a pay-per-view. So like it was a big fucking deal when it happened before you would get it sometimes multiple times in a year, but maybe you also wouldn't get it in a year like 2001 didn't have a match uh so you know it, it it's kind of cheapened a little bit but it is still a great gimmick and it's one that like really evokes um for me like when i think back on my younger fandom i really feel like it, it invokes like brutality and blood and just like this is going to be a crazy fucking match um you know, like I remember watching Triple H and Chris Jericho or Brock and Undertaker. Like that was when I was ordering pay per views, and I was ten, eleven, and I fucking loved it. So, you know, it's it sucks, um, but it is still a great match. And this year we've got, well, you know, we got actually three Hell in the Cells, and and 
I really feel like only one of them actually deserves it, if we're being honest. Uh, because, like, Roman and Jay is great, but the storyline kind of should have ended after Clash of Champions. And, like, it's going to happen again, fine. But, like, I don't know. It's not been long enough to justify Hell in a Cell. And, like, Drew and Randy, I really fucking don't know why we're doing another match with those guys. Yeah. Because, like, their matches have been good. But the last one had all of the legends come back and attack Randy and get Drew this conclusive win. And he already has other conclusive wins over Randy. So I don't really know why that feud needs to happen. But the one that does deserve it, that absolutely should be in a hell in a cell is Bailey versus Sasha Banks because I don't know. Have they had a singles match together since Brooklyn? You know, I don't think so. If it was, it was like a one-off match. Um, I don't think Bailey was included in that triple, uh, that triple, sorry, the triple threat match at mania a couple of years ago. Or flip it. I don't think Sasha was involved, if I'm correct. So they've had, they've had, the last singles match they had was in 2018. Okay, on, so it's been a while. On a random Raw, right? Yeah, that's what I figured it was. Um, There were like two of those on Raws, and in 2017, like on Raw. But like a high stakes, like cha- like a championship match hasn't happened since uh, TakeOver Respect in Brooklyn. Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah, so, like, I almost hope like this match isn't overshadowed by the other two. Because like I don't want to be able to mark right now and tell you like, oh, I mean I mean, come on. Do you think Jay Uso is gonna win in an I quit match against Roman Reigns? Yeah, and like do you re- like uh, you sure I guess Randy this could be the match Randy finally beats Drew McIntyre in, but like at this point you've beaten this feud to death. Like Yeah, of course. That's that's not I don't and you're gonna feel- have Sorry, continue. This is like a big problem with WWE is like, they're like, oh, you don't, you want long-term booking, but then like, you don't want long-term feuds. Like, no, I want long-term feuds, but like, they don't need to fucking be each other's only opponent for five months. Yeah. Like, that's not how a long-term feud happens. Like, you can go fight other people. Get Keith Lee in that match. Why not? Just let Randy not be there. He lost like three times. You don't. And I understand that like, there's a plot of like, I'm Randy Orton. I'm going to get whatever I want. But, like, that's a fucking cop-out. Like, who in their right mind is still giving Randy Orton a fucking championship match? Like, even at this point, in kayfabe, like, shouldn't Vince be like, ah, oh, pal, I don't know. Like, you, like, you got put in an ambulance. Like, we're we're still going to do another match, so I don't care. Yeah, I mean, you know what it was to his credit before the pandemic is that, you know, Randy Orton was having a hell of a run, and he was doing it with Edge. Absolutely. So I think I think Edge getting hurt really derailed those plans. But you're right. I mean, like, we don't need... Like, especially if he's going to lose all the matches. We don't need to see the fourth yeah. iteration of this match. The problem is not that Randy Orton doesn't deserve a title shot, or even that Randy Orton doesn't deserve to beat Drew. I just don't fucking need to see it this many times. Well, Bailey yeah, versus it, Sasha Banks, though. Yeah, exactly. So that I'm, needs to be the main event. You know, and only WWE would make you feel this way. I think it should go on first because I don't want it. I don't want fans to get to that match at the end of the night and be like, oh, I'm exhausted. Like, you know, and the heat is gone. What fans? Ryan, what fans? <laughs> the you know, video the, the, fans? The, the... Who fucking cares about the fans? Fuck the fans. 
Okay, the fucking yeah. the TVs. You're afraid that the piped in crowd is going to fucking lose their steam. No, fuck that. I don't care if that pay per view is seven hours long. Bailey and Sasha Banks needs to be the fucking main event. Go put fucking Roman and Jay on first. Okay. Outrageous. Okay. Outrageous. With all that said, you get my uh, point though, right? I, I get your point. Like you wanna, you want it to be hot. You want it. It like, doesn't. Yeah, but it, it, you're right. It doesn't matter. I'm, I'm still thinking like everything is normal. So yeah, nothing is normal. Nothing will nothing ever be normal, normal again. Anymore. Um. Yeah. So, so the only other, uh, like, a couple other interesting things about uh, Hell in a Cell is, is you would mention them. Like, you see when you go on that list. Obviously, Hell in a Cell is Undertaker's match. Mm-hmm. Uh, he has wrestled in thirteen Hell in a Cells. Uh, Triple H is second with nine and then Shawn Michaels with six and then Kane with four and whatever. Um, and so I think it's very apropos that like Undertaker and Triple H that that's their match because Undertaker, obviously it has the word hell in it. So it must be Undertaker's match by default. But, uh, Triple H really like has had some brutal fucking matches in his day and like his weapon of choice is a goddamn sledgehammer. So I feel like Hell in a Cell being his match followed just behind by Sean is something that makes a lot of sense. I think when you look back at that uh, match against Cactus Jack, if you remember like Triple H at the time, he was still like the uh, overbearing, smarky uh, sidekick to, to Sean. But at that time, Sean was gone. So he really needed this to establish himself. Mm-hmm. And more so as like, McFoley also established Randy Orton with that thumbtack match and how he established Edge. Like, you know, it really gave Triple H, again, I'm sorry to use this, but he gave him an edge in terms of like his character work and, you know, just making him the cerebral assassin uh, as opposed mm. to the DX expat that he was at the time. So it, it is fitting for Triple H to be second on that list. Yeah. And, uh, John Cena himself, like, hasn't had necessarily a ton of matches inside mm-hmm. of Hell in a Cell. But at the event, uh, he's lost a championship at every single point. Like, if he if he holds a championship in Hell in a Cell, he's never successfully defended it. So that's kind of interesting. Right. Um. Overall, though, like, when you think of Hell in a Cell, you know what you think of. Like, you think of Undertaker Mankind, and that's what I think makes it so special is hell in a cell represents it's just that and that's why i hate that it's kind of its own pay-per-view now because it is very much just like oh it's hell in a cell it's at this point it's just like it's a cage match but it used to be much more than that and even years after when it was still uh when it was you know it was never just a steel cage match it was hell in a cell you knew what you were gonna get and it was going to be brutal and vicious and long. And like, I hope that, I don't know. I would like to see the event go away. Honestly, like there are too many fucking events. And like, I feel like you could lose hell in a cell and go back to making it a marquee match at WrestleMania or drop it on a random fucking raw. Like Mm -hmm. why the hell not? Well, like you mentioned before, when we think hell in a cell, we're not thinking any of these modern matches. We're thinking of the old ones that, you know, are embedded in our minds because they were just absolutely, you know, monstrous events with all these. And it's like, not like, you know, obviously we wear the attitude 
era rose-colored glasses all the time. But, you know, I mean, I think the payoff for these matches would be a lot greater if you just let it organically happen. You know, when, when they added Hell in the Cell to Shane and Undertaker, uh, which was already already pretty much thrown together because everybody was just absolutely hurt at the time of that WrestleMania, so they really had to work with something. But it worked. Mm-hmm. It, it, it added a landscape to a match that, you know, shouldn't have happened, and it elevated it to the next level. So, yeah, keep, I mean... Plus, get rid of the red hell in the cell. It, look, it looks terrible. Um, here's something else that's super interesting, like one last little fun fact. Uh, so this is going to be Sasha's fourth appearance in the cell, which actually puts her in the top eight and tied for sixth for most appearances ever in Hell in a Cell. Because you've got Undertaker, then you've got Triple H, um, and then you've got Randy Orton, Shawn Michaels... Uh, but she's actually tied with mankind and John Cena for That's most pretty badass. for most appearances and Shawn Michaels in um yeah she's tied with those three for like most appearances in Hell in a Cell so like that is pretty fucking badass and Sasha is a fucking badass and I hope she is the right person to take the belt off of Bailey this mm-hmm. is the right feud to put in the cell it sucks it can't happen and. What I am worried about is because there is no crowd that they're going to have a fucky finish somehow again in a Hell in a Cell for the fucking second time in a row and, like, not get a conclusive winner. I hope that, that it's just brutal and Sasha just kicks the ever-loving shit out of Bailey and pins her and then that's she's champion and has a nice reign with the belt. Like, that's what I'm hoping for. They can have a feud. That's why I'm worried that Bailey is going to, like, cheat to win and then they're going to extend the feud for as long as possible. But Yeah, I, I hope be- not. Like, I don't want hot shotting, but like, I would like Sasha to win this match conclusively right. and just have their feud kind mm-hmm. of exist and simmer until you can get them in front of a live crowd and have another championship match. That would be my right. fantasy booking. And, and Bailey has been, you know, really succeeding in her current heel run. So she needs to be humbled a little bit. Oh, yeah, and for sure. I don't know if, they, don't know if they're going to reference Sasha being in as many hell in the cells as you mentioned before but <laughs> you like, know they're going to ryan ryan can you can you not just hear it can you not just hear michael cole oh it's it's boss time sasha banks uh fourth overall hell in the cell they're gonna ram it down your fucking throat you're never gonna forget that fact on your deathbed ryan you are going to look at all of your children and your grandchildren and you're gonna have everybody hold papa's hands and they're going to be like, Papa, like, what would you, what do you, do you have any last words for us? And you're going to be like, Michael Cole told me that Sasha Banks for Hill and Hill appearances. But by that time, it'll probably it's be like 15. Time. No, but I meant like in just terms of like, you know, her character actually utilizing it. Oh, I hope this so. Is, I hope so. Yeah, for sure. Like this is my dojo. This is my landscape. All that good stuff. Well, she's definitely never some won. Lost time <laughs> she she's never won. Oh, she's never won. Okay. Hopefully, well. hopefully at this Hell in a Cell, it will be boss time. Um. So yeah, those are those are that's my thoughts. Very much so. Well, that concludes our uh, our recap of Hell in a Cell. Uh, obviously, me and Damien's favorite match stipulations, one of them of all time. 
I and, I can't uh, think of many I like more than Hell in a Cell. Yeah, like I used to book myself into those in like Raw vs SmackDown all the time. I think the only match that I immediately think I might like more is TLC. Yeah, which also suffers the same fate. But we'll get into that yeah. into another episode. Um, yeah, and and the card is is going to be you know it'll be decent. You know, you'll have Roman and Jay. You'll have Drew and Randy. You'll have Sasha and Bailey. You'll probably fucking have Seth and a Mysterio again. Uh, and you'll probably have Owens and Alistair Black, and then I'm sure we'll fill out the card from there or whatever. Um, I fucking, I need this Mysterio storyline to be mm. over. I need it to be over. I need other things to happen now. Uh, if it establishes Buddy as a star, I won't hate it, but I mean, like, we could have done Dominic. that eight matches ago. <laughs> We could have done that eight matches ago. Um, well, yeah. So, Ryan, do you have a legend killer for me today? I don't. That's too fucking bad. Oh, okay. You said you don't. Well, that's fine. Because I've double got, turn. I've got one for you. Ah, uh, well, there you know, you, you defeated you defeated me handily the last time. I think you're gonna so, get God this damn, one with man. ease. This is a very easy one, but I think it's a little bit harder than the other one I was going to go with. If you get this too quickly, I'm going to send you the other one. It's not Avon Eric. It's not Avon Eric. Um, Big schnoz. Yes. Good. Let the confusion grow within you. See what it's like to be me. Is he behind like a cherry pie background? Experience face blindness. Enjoy uh, your suffering. Is this Triple H? There you go. Yes, That's sir. A good that one, is, though. I, I didn't really get it at first. That is Paul Levesque back when he was at Nashua South High School. Um, That's pretty cool. Um, you know. Credit to Triple H. Uh, I read about this the other day um, through just like some random Reddit post. Uh, it was describing like states that haven't really had a big pay per view. And Triple H realized that New Hampshire never really had a pay per view at all. So he kind of politic backstage for uh, Nashua to get a, uh, a pay per view. So that's pretty cool. Going back to his roots, he's not the Greenwich blue blood, as we all know. He's just a uh, he's a granite stater. So yep. uh, that's pretty cool. Yeah, young Paul, um, like I said, I think it's very apropos that um, that Triple H kind of became known for Hell in a Cell because he really has had some pretty like brutal matches in his time. Um, and... Uh, just a little a little interesting thing about uh H is that uh he was trained by Killer Kowalski uh mm -hmm. out of Massachusetts before going before going to WCW. Um he debuted as a villain named Terrorizing. Uh but he was French, so he was <laughs> he was he was asked to speak with a French accent because he couldn't speak French. Uh, and that's where the pedigree. And it's exactly from. how it's, it's like if you've never seen uh, Triple H, he kind of did with Hunter Hearst Helmsley a little bit, but like in his WCW yeah. run is when he really 
accentuated the French accent, and it's exactly how you think it sounds in your head right now. Yeah, it's literally. I can just, really I can bad just French see him going. I will put you in the pedagogy. <laughs> well, you know, like you know, it, it it's great. I mean, listen, Triple H, one of the most mired figures in wrestling. The dude knows his shit. It's a you bad know. rep, honestly. Like he does, he really does, and it's undeserved. I'm I'm tired of it. And don't you kind of, you know what, Uh, sometimes I feel like a lot of it, like the reign of terror, yes, I understand, like the reign of terror was rough and, uh, you know, the reign of terror referring to what, what era was that when the reign of terror happened? That was the mid 2000s, Uh, right? After Brock left, it was pretty much like Triple H ran Monday Night Raw. Yeah, it was like 2007 or some shit, right? 2005 that he like just won and just kept winning, but like. He put a bunch oh. of people over. He built up like Batista as a star. He did, yeah, like that's he one did thing lo- he's very good at is like get like uh, allowing. Well, it's it's kind of controversial because people always reference the Booker T match. Yeah. Um, but he he was always very good about giving comeuppance when it was deserved. Um, but you know, I mean, think of the landscape at the time. There was not really many believable people that were gonna defeat him in terms of the new stars he's a fucking stud dude triple h triple h is everything you want in a professional wrestler he and honestly he does not get this type of acclaim but like triple h has that exact same thing as kurt angle where he could be incredibly funny and very silly and then immediately turn around and kick the shit out of you like yeah dx was funny as shit all of his antics with sean were very good and triple h had no problem debasing himself like and being embarrassed um He's very much maligned, and I don't... Triple H has always been one of my favorite wrestlers. And yes, he politics, but I kind of feel like that goes back to the curtain call and, like, him getting the brunt of that because uh, Scott Hall and Kevin Nash left to go join WCW and Sean, I think... What did he retired after the curtain call, right? Or he uh, like, or or no, it was that Sean no, was the golden boy, and you couldn't got, punish him. That's what it was, right? So, like a man, he took that, and you know, he was always the guy in the clique that didn't party much in terms of like you know drugs and alcohol. And uh, whether you think it's politicking or not, man, the guy used his uh, environment around him, and now he's the COO of the company. So. You know, he, yeah, I mean, that's at the end of the day, when you're dealing with a guy like Vince McMahon, unfortunately, those are the type of people that get ahead is the people that get one over and they politic. And because uh, it's kind of like what Miro said when he came to AEW, like, oh, they tell you grab the brass ring. But like that brass ring doesn't exist if they don't want it to exist. Like if, right. if Vince doesn't want that brass ring to exist for you, it's not going to. And it's. People like Triple H are the people that get ahead, the people that know how to play the game. You know, not to, no pun intended, but like people that know how to play the game are the people that get over in WWE because they yeah. force it. And not to mention, like, it wasn't like Vince going up to Triple H to be like, hey, pal, I'm going to give you a 20 year run. Like, let's do this thing. Like, <laughs> yeah. It was Triple H knocking on the door during creative meetings and being like, hey, can I sit in and maybe give some points or two? Yeah, and like nobody ever, nobody a wanted to do that, and b like nobody like thought that was possible to do. So, yeah, you know, and not everybody can. Uh, Moxley talks about that all the time. How like 
when he was in WWE as Ambrose, he would constantly have ideas and con- and just like you either have a certain quality that Vince likes and he listens and he does mm-hmm. shit or you don't like you're either someone like Triple H and you're this bronze golden god and you're good in the ring and you're a great promo and you're a draw and people like you. You've got an over entrance and like he'll listen to you or you're someone like Otis who's big, funny, fat comedy man, but very strong and he likes you or you're someone like Dean Ambrose who can have all the talent in the world and all of the uh, good booking decisions and like you're liked, but just not quite enough. So like mm-hmm. I, I feel like Triple H I feel like Triple H suffers for the environment that he existed in. Like that's just the environment he existed in. And like you it's not to say that Triple H doesn't have shit in his career about and burying it was other people at the time, man. It was a cutthroat business. So you have to He make did cutthroat shit. I don't have to admire him about it, but like I don't think that that makes him like some monstrous right. wrestler. Um uh, b- before we switch, I just wanted to send you this picture if you ever saw it before. <laughs> how great is that grandma <laughs> i have seen you into the abyss and soon i will let you rest in peace yeah undertaker i just love the gimmick mark it's so it's so nice you're, you're so oh, tough in the ring oh yes grandma yes <laughs> <laughs> um all right so, first ever, I, I don't know how to pronounce casuals backwards. Casuals. Slow. The double turn. Slow. Slow. No, I'm not going to bother. <laughs> Very well done, my friend. Very well Thank done. You. Why I don't you bring it on? House. Why don't you bring it on home? Bring it on home to you. All right. What are you listening to this week, pal? So I am not in, I'm going to say this with absolutely no shame whatsoever. Uh, I've been listening to Tickets to My Downfall, Machine Gun Kelly's pop punk album. How is Honestly, it? that shit is pretty fucking good. Uh, he's got a song with Halsey, um, who I think is got the best feature in the game mm-hmm. uh, called Forget Me Too. And I, honestly, if you're looking for like that early 2000s, like, uh, quote unquote emo like pop punk sound like go listen to this it's it really scratches that paramore itch and it's very clearly like I think it's easy to look at and be like oh this is fucking bullshit like fucking media driven fucking big label driven bullshit but I really think there's an earnestness here with Machine Gun Kelly just like working with Travis Barker and liking this music and being like, oh, it'd be sick to do this. And in doing it, and like it comes out pretty good. Honestly, it's not any more or less produced than like your recent Blink-182 albums. And uh, it's funny that you mentioned that because I saw his interview on Howard Stern and uh, it, it was pretty much talking about how he got the role in the dirt. And uh, he had to go through a lot to get that. Like he had to show up like seven times for the audition. Mm-hmm. And uh, it took him talking to Tommy Lee to like, can can I please be in this movie and play you? And like Tommy Lee had to like get him to be in the movie. And it was funny, like on his last uh, interview with the producers, like Tommy Lee told the producers to fuck with him one last time. And like, he absolutely just like flipped his shit on them. Like, no, 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 it's cool. It's cool. But he was talking about doing this album and you know, like Howard was like, Oh, aren't you, aren't you like 
worried it's going to destroy your career. And he was just like, man, I destroyed my career like three times. It's okay. I just wanted to do something on my own and not a lot of people in my position can do this. And I just want to have fun with it. And, you know, he got in that lame feud with Eminem and like uh, Eminem is like boring now. He's just an old man. So I I don't really care. But like, you know, good for him. Whatever. Yeah, no, it's it's, he plays guitar on the album, too, right? A little bit. Yeah, he plays on like five or six tracks. Um, It's good. It's it's good. I like it. I would recommend it to anybody that likes that style. Uh, I've been listening to like a shit ton of we listen to a lot of Death Cab for Cutie in Maine. Um and I've been listening to a lot of Descendants, but I'll shout out one other specific album. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm going to shout out Lament, the new album by Touche Amore. Touche Amore is a band that I really, really love. Um, they are in that same wave of like, I don't really quite know what you would call it. You could Poetry call it like moder- modern screamo is probably like the best way I could think of it. Like old lot of spute is is like the is kind of like the math rocky screamo of like the 90s of like your page 99s and shit but touche amore is like that really good fast burst of really fucking sad energy um they're one yeah, of that was favorite. a good run of bands have you ever listened to defeater oh i love defeater yeah defeater was kind of like akin to those two bands absolutely but it's, yeah it, it's like poetry core like like a good take on it. <laughs> it definitely is for like a lot of spute. Uh, yeah. I would say poetry. Yeah. Like pianos become the teeth, all those mm-hmm. bands. Like I love pianos, uh, but touche amore. Their last album came out in 2016. Stage four was about uh, the singer's mom dying of cancer. And it came out the same year that my grandma died. And it like, it's a really perfect morning album. Like if, okay. if, you have a death that you still grieve over or just like if that's uh if you ever go out chasing that like feeling when you listen to music of like i wish i could find something that relates to that stage four is like one of the best albums i've ever heard for that it's just raw and honest and fast and melodic uh and this new album is a little bit more akin to some of their earlier works uh it's got a little bit of parting the sea between brightness and me their 2011 album that kind of put them on the map but Still carrying the same uh, melodic and and like sonic qualities mm-hmm. of stage four. So, if you're into that, or if you're into just like fast kind of aggressive screaming sad music, like I would I would definitely give that a listen. And I'm gonna shout out Ohms one more time because I'm still I'm still spinning Ohms. Actually, that that came out while we were on break, didn't it? Yes. Yeah, so I will I will give a shout out to Ohms, the new Deftones album. Incredible. Awesome. Uh It did. It did, especially since we were just talking up the entire summer. Uh yeah, it's incredible. If you were remissed a little bit by Gore, this is your answer to it. Uh, they evoke passages on some of these songs that I haven't heard since uh, she was around. So uh, it's definitely a renewed energy for them. Uh, the first four songs on the track are this is one banger after another. Uh, Frank Delgado, who usually handles like uh, samples and since really shines on this album. Uh, also, I think this is really the first album where um, 
the basis really comes through too. Yeah, and he's, he's it, it was you know, that's not that's not easy and shoes to fill. Morning, somebody just wrapped you know, up in this like, and they like I mean, wrote it after she's accident. So like, yeah, I you're think, never you're never gonna you get know, an album I, like that again. I heard some people again, over it. It's a little boring. There's even, no like we weren't getting another Diamond Eyes. Uh, we're not gonna get another not, Diamond even Eyes. Outside diamond of, Eyes of, was like, a once Deftones in a Like this is a really great album with a very like clear, consistent vibe to it that. Uh, if you're into Deftones or heavy music or heavy music with some emotion behind it, really, yeah. really great stuff. Sergio Vega, sorry, I couldn't. It was slipping my mind, but yeah, Sergio really shines on the album. But yeah, continue. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And listen, when they let Good luck. Um, Steven just surf on the riffs, that's where they shine. And like they were able to like meld themselves back into form here on this album. So it, it's just a very, a very good addition to their already amazing career. And when I have tickets to their show, so hopefully it happens next year, I would like to, I'd like to see that band. Uh, well, yes. I would not be uh I would not be appropriate if we didn't mention this, but we lost one of the gods to time last week. And it was uh a musician that had a profound impact on my life, a profound impact on your life and many other people's lives. We lost Edward Van Halen last week, unfortunately to cancer. No, um um, Van Halen, Eddie so Van Halen that's is pretty like much what I've been bumping not someone weekend. that I immediately Van list one, as two. the guitar hero. Um, but uh, even when like I was a younger down, kid, playing, rocking, starting so, to learn how to play guitar, um, 14, 15, you know, my dad you know, many was a people guitar player, he was a shredder, and, stuff, and he fucking loved he Van Halen, said, practice, right? so practice, I always practice, had Van Halen blasting. There will never be another Eddie Van Halen again. And there's like a 12-minute video out there of Eddie playing Eruption on like one of their DVDs uh, from the eighties. And I would just like watch it for hours and just like be amazed at like how you, it's really hard to like understand just how groundbreaking some of the shit that Eddie did on a guitar was like for all intents and purposes, you know, Eddie Van Halen is considered the guy that like kind of invented tapping as uh as a technique in guitar he wasn't the first person maybe to do it ever in the history of music, but like he popularized it. He was the one that made tapping prominent and just like everything about him was unique. He was, a, like you said, he was a once in a lifetime uh, player, a once in a lifetime musician and somebody that anybody who's ever played guitar and has been into rock or heavy music, like you have been influenced by him whether he's one of your favorite musicians or not. And uh, Van Halen 1 um, is as close to like a complete album as you're going to find from really any group. I mean, that is a top to bottom incredible album. Just looking at the the track list, Running With The Devil, Straight Into Eruption. I mean, the man put a two-minute long guitar solo as the second track on their debut album, and it's one of their most famous songs, you know? You really got me the cover. Ain't talking about love. I'm the one. Jamie's crying. Like, it is top to bottom. Just 
a fucking incredible album. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's a huge, it's a huge loss. Very few people knew that he was sick and, uh, it's uh there there's never going to be another van halen you know and we are lucky to have been graced by somebody of that level uh that caliber for as long as we did and uh to this day i can't play a single one of his fucking solos so i've <laughs> been playing playing for fucking 14 years can't fucking do eruption uh yeah so great job ryan Leading us, leading us into the promised land. Um, so yes, as Ryan mentioned, November close approaching <laughs> is our <Yeah>. one year <laughs> anniversary. We will be planning something very special for that. Uh, but in the meantime, as always, yeah. we encourage you to rate, like, subscribe. Uh, Thank you. Tell me Thank you hate you. me. Tell me you hate Ryan. Especially tell me that you hate Ryan. Uh, uh we appreciate everybody listening as always and uh it's not too late to watch all of the g1 october 18th baby the finals rapid approach and uh oh i'll give a special shout out before we go uh thracian good friend of ours anthony capozzi uh fellow podcaster co-host of friend i know you will after this episode uh thracian is Getting ready to drop a new single, uh, courtesy of Liquid Studios, the beautiful studio behind uh, my band Transience's debut album, Skyward. Uh, so that's going to be coming out soon and should be great. Anthony is probably my favorite uh, metal vocalist in the area. He's insanely talented and can't wait to hear what he comes up with. And I believe uh, his other co-host, Will Wagner in Resistor, I believe they are also working on dropping either uh, the last single of what will become an EP or maybe an EP altogether. Uh, so, people still keeping busy. Um, oh, yes, that's right. I meant to mention him. Yeah, I bet it's going to be great. Big shout outs to Bryce. Um, also, let's give a shout out yeah, to our and fellow I, I know that Rex and uh, Will and Bryce Anna have been working a little bit more mm-hmm. as, as time progresses. So yes, good to see all of our, our friends getting some teacher. work as well. And I will uh, give, uh, because the next episode will happen weeks after, I'll give a, a now, special, and, uh, special birthday boy to watch this match, wishy very, happy celebration time to good friend Travis Gentile. I can't wait to embarrass you. All right. So Ryan, as you as above so below, take us home. Yes indeed, my friend. Happy birthday. You never call us electrifying. <laughs> All right. So, for Damien Ellinghouse, and for me, Ryan Doyle, this has been FFC.